I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. You know what that sounded like? That sounded like you understand that this is an emergency. We have an That's, emergency. We have we an have, emergency. That in fact, was... we have we have several emergencies. <laughs> it, it sort of had the it sort of had the yes, you have called the fire department. We we will be right over. Kind of we're, feel. We're on it. We understand <laughs> the nature of the emergencies, and we're ready to respond. All right, we are going to be responding to numerous baseball emergencies. I will tell you a little later in the program. Uh, you can hear my interview with Nick Davis, the excellent, uh, director who is, uh, the director of the 30 for 30 coming out in a few days, uh, called once upon a time in Queens about the 1986 Mets. Do you remember the 1986 Mets, Mike? Did, did, did they play I any mean, role in your life at all? Vaguely, just so <laughs> vaguely. I, I barely remember Tim Tuffle. Barely. And I, barely remember Keith Hernandez. I barely remember Ray Knight. I, if I really try hard, I think I can probably summon some details of that 86 team. But but I mean, it's really vague. Yeah, it's a vague. It's for you for sure. It's got to be a super vague memory. So it's a four part 30 for 30 that's coming out next week. Uh, and uh, um, you'll want to skip the fourth part, Mike. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> just, just First three parts. Enjoy. Enjoy. You know, okay. it's, it's it's wonderful. Um Fourth part might not be for you, but, you know, for others, other people might like it, I guess. Uh, sure. It's, it's going to be good. Other um, degenerates and criminals and <laughs> and evil people. Who evil have, people, exactly. Who are, yeah, who are on the wrong side of history. They might enjoy it. They might enjoy it. By the way, Nick uh, is also, th- this is really cool, super weird and interesting. Uh, he is the grandson of Herman Mankiewicz. Uh, huh. Yeah, the, the famed uh, Hollywood writer. And uh, and he the day that the thirty for thirty is coming out, he also he wrote a book about his grandfather and his great uncle Joe Mankiewicz, who was another legendary Hollywood writer. So uh, so if you want, you know, if you're into Hollywood, you, you've got his book coming out next week. If you're into the Mets, uh, that's coming out. Nick, cool guy. So anyway, that's coming up in a little bit. But now uh, emergencies. I don't even know which emergency emergency to start with because there are so many. Baseball emergencies happening all at once. There are a, a solid half dozen baseball emergencies yeah. to talk about. I mean, yeah. I think you have to start with the Yankees. Yankee Minute. All right. So the emergency with the Yankees, I, everybody knows, they're like never going to lose again. They're they're. They're back in. Not only are they in the playoffs, they're solidly in the playoffs. They raced past the Red Sox. And, you know, I will admit, again, letting my guard down a little bit, because uh, I just don't think this team is very good. Mike will uh, admit to nothing because he was the guy screaming. He was Paul Revere on this one. Yes. He's been saying this all along. I'm giving you full marks Thank you. Uh, for saying this all along because... Uh, yeah, they're good now, and suddenly they're they're going to win the World Series and, and destroy us. That's what's going to happen here. Yeah, just you say they're never going to lose again. We should note that as of right now, they've lost four out of their last five games. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 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 but but by the time this runs, they will have won their next yeah, six so games or whatever. They won 13 in a row, I think, for the first time since 1961. Right. And the, uh, you could see this coming because when you looked at their schedule, they had – 
I think they had like 13 or 14 consecutive games against like the Marlins and the Royals and the Orioles and just bad teams. And they had made those two trades, which by the way, haven't really helped them that much. I think they're, they got maybe marginally better, but really what happened is Stanton started hitting again. Judge started hitting again. Um, everybody on the team started hitting at the same time, right. and then their pitching got really hot against right. a bunch Cole of really crummy started. offensive teams. Yeah, Cole Cole's he, been Cole, and then you but also Cole's going to win the Cy Young Award. I mean, yeah, this is he, like ridiculous. He probably is. Yeah, he probably is. Yeah. Um, he had 15 strikeouts the other night. Uh, but but also like these guys. The the infuriating thing about the team is that they've lost so many guys to COVID and to other injuries. And then anyone that they plugged in just performed better than the person <laughs> that he replaced. Like Luis Heel came up as a, as a pitcher and pitched way better than whoever it was that he replaced in the roster. And these right. guys like Jordan Montgomery uh, have just been like unhittable. You know, they haven't had Domingo Herman for most of the year. They haven't had Severino for the entire year. Kluber they, got, you know, they, Kluber they, hurt. Kluber hurt. They plug and play these guys who are, you know, these minor league, you know, randos. And then those guys, Luis Heal didn't give up a run for the first 15 innings or something of his major league career. Like that, yeah. and that, I, I have to say, as a connoisseur of Yankee black magic, that is the hallmark of the Yankee uh, black magic is right. that they, these guys, it started in my memory with Aaron small when Aaron small was picked up, I think from the Rockies like on waivers or something. And then one like his first 12 starts with the team. And then they like released him the next year and he was never heard from again. <laughs> like these guys come out of nowhere to do fantastical things in the late summer months for the Yankees. And then they just disappear. And it's so infuriating. And, and as you point out, I was yelling and screaming and warning everyone you were? that this was going to happen no one believed me. You didn't believe me. Brandon McCarthy didn't believe me. No one believed me. Everybody said, no, they're done. Jeff Passan was on a, a podcast on the ESPN Daily podcast saying, like, this is, just isn't a good team. And then, boom, 13 in a row, and now they're going to host the, the wild card game if they don't magically win the division, which is totally possible. They're, they're six and a half back with, like, 28 to play. So it's likely as hot as thank god for the rays by thank the way god for the rays what can you say thank god for the rays being being almost as hot as the yankees otherwise the yankees would lead the division right now if the if the rays had slumped at the wrong time like the red sox did the yankees would be leading the division and would be hosting would be letting the the red sox and a's slug it out or the rays and the a's slug it out for the wild card and then would like be waiting with Garrett Cole on 74 days rest <laughs> to to start game one of the ALDS. But the Rays have held up, which is really good. So the most likely scenario right now is the Yankees host the Red Sox or the A's in the wild card game. And when Garrett Cole is pitching in Yankee Stadium, like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, right. you're, you're all, forget the wild card game. We're already looking at a Yankees, White Sox or Yankees, Astros ALDS and you and then when you do it that way you're like well you know that's a coin flip the Yankees have a, a, a half 50% chance at least of winning that series and suddenly they're in the ALCS against the Rays do you trust the Rays starting pitching against the Yankees probably not you're really you're really looking at the at a at the nightmare scenario which is that the Yankees who looked like they were dead in the water a couple right. months ago suddenly playing in the World Series well, you know, look, I mean, I think there are a couple of things going on here. I mean, one is obviously um, they were better than their record, you know, for, for those for first few months. 
Uh, they did have a lot of injuries and all that. And so, you know, some of this seemed probably if you want to go over a long season, it seems a little bit inevitable. But uh, here's the thing that drives me crazy. Um, and that is, you know, you mentioned all of these all of these small, uh, you know, small, these Aaron Smalls that just show up. By the way, you didn't mention the fact, you, you, you mentioned how, you know, I was, um, you know, I did not think that this team was going to come back. And you mentioned Brandon McCarthy. We have now discovered that you look at Brandon McCarthy's career uh, as a pitcher, and he is a certain kind of pitcher uh, throughout his career, you know, right in that four to five ERA uh, kind of pitcher, solid at ERA, 100 ERA plus, you know, that kind of solid pitcher. Except <laughs> for 90 innings with the mm-hmm. New York Yankees in 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, it's like you said. You like you said the call was always coming from inside the house. Yes, that's that was the <laughs> the shocking realization is that our close friend, what who was saying like, no, you want the Yankees to win a few right. games toward toward the trade deadline so that they then get rid of a bunch of prospects and try to make a run and and then give up you know depth in their farm system. And I was like, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. You, this is a the, the the Yankees are a vampire and you don't. You don't like stab the vampire once and then walk away and assume walk away, that, right. it's, that the vampire right. is dead. You stab it through the heart a thousand times with a thousand <laughs> different silver blades, uh, and then and so then the Yankees went thirteen in a row and suddenly I was like, oh, this is a this is an inside job. This yeah. guy it's was right. all, the whole time was was uh, he was a double agent. He double was wor- agent. He's working actively working for the Yankees. Yeah, the, the entire time. There's no question. So you got that going on. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm going to try here to look at the positive of this. Uh, there's no positive of the Yankees winning, but the positive you mentioned, and that is that Rays team, that Rays team seems, I mean, I'm not going to say they're immune to Yankee magic cause you know, nobody is, but you know, ever since the, the Rays got good right around 2008, uh, when they went to the world series, um, 2009, I guess. Well, 2009 was when the Yankees won it. The Yankees so 2008. Won. So right around then, the Yankees stopped winning World Series, right? They won that True. one in 2009 and haven't won since. And that team, the thing that I love about that Rays team, they're sort of our our great hope here because that Rays team is really, really good. And then they call up Wander Franco, who's yeah. like absurd. I mean, that's that's sort of the fear you always have with like the Yankees honestly, or the Dodgers or somebody that they're already the best team in baseball. And then they call up just the best prospect who immediately becomes their best player. Um, which is what seems to be happening there. That guy is Franco. Yeah. just So this absurd. is, this is you're, you're, you're making a nice transition into the second baseball emergency, which is Wander Franco to me. <laughs> this is an emergency. This guy is, he's 20 years old. He has now reached base as we speak in something like 32 or 33 straight games. Right. Watching him play is a pure, unadulterated joy. joy. He's just wonderful. He hits everything. He hits pitches. He's like he's a sort of mini Vlad Guerrero or something. Yeah. Like he hits yeah. pitches that are at his eyes. He hits sliders down and in. He drives everything hard. And you now have they are they are kind of our great hope because they have a but they you, you would imagine that if there's one team that does not care at all about Yankee magic. It's the Tampa Bay Rays. Which right. is a, it's a bunch of 20 something year old, <laughs> like no name kids who like, who don't, who like barely know it's been 
13 years since the Yankees won the World Series. Wander Franco was seven years old the last time that happened. <laughs> They're the same as every other team to, to these guys, right? So there, there are a few hopes uh, in the fight against the, the uh, inevitability of the Yankees. The, the Rays are a huge one. The Rays, are, you could absolutely imagine uh, McClanahan comes out and has a great start against them in, in game one and somehow beats Garrett Cole or something. Right, right. And then they, they put together a bullpen game in game two that has that features seven pitchers that no one's ever heard of, <laughs> but all of whom throw 98 with vicious movement on their two-seam fastballs. Andrew Kittredge? Who the Who heck are is these Andrew people? Kittredge? Yeah, I know. And then you imagine like a Rosarena and Franco get hot at the right time and they just like are a buzzsaw and they just storm right through. You can totally imagine that happening, right? Yes. And, and so Wander Franco is a baseball emergency that needs to be paid attention to. Um, but they're not the only hope here. Like they're, they're what we have in the American League right now is an extremely striated league where there are four or five Great teams, and everybody else stinks. Yes. The, the Rays, Yankees, White Sox, Astros are all great teams. Like, run differential right. through the roof, except for the Yankees. Run differential through the roof. Stars up and down the lineup. Guys who can play every, at every position. Then you have, like, a very, very slim middle tier. That middle tier, I would say, is the Red Sox, Blue Jays, and, and A's. And, and, even, and the, even the Blue Jays are kind of, like unwilling to join that tier it for is some reason. well okay so this They're is a an great, emergency we great transition get to, to the, yes. the th- yes we'll get to that third emergency in a second but you have these sort of middle tier where you're like the red sox aren't winning the world series the uh, the a's and the mariners aren't winning the world series even if they get into the wild card right those are the and the blue jays are out of it and so there's that slim middle tier and then everybody else is just disastrous like the the Orioles Indians Tigers Royals Twins Angels Rangers even the Mariners I would put in that group they have a negative run differential there's no way that they should 10 games over 500 with a negative run differential it's it's truly bizarre really crazy yeah they're 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 28 and 16 in one run games which is not a sustainable thing like they're 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 expected win losses 61 and 73 they're 11 games over their expected win loss (laughs) So you have this you have this very, very top-heavy league. You basically have four contenders. The four contenders are the Astros, White Sox, Rays, and Yankees. And I it is possible, unlike in previous years when the when the Yankees pull off this this black magic trick, um, it is possible to imagine any of those teams beating the Yankees in a in a playoff series. Now, it should be noted, other than the actual Field of Dreams game, which we attended, the White Sox have basically rolled over for the Yankees this year. Like they they got, I think the Yankees swept them in Chicago or won three out of four. I can't remember, uh, but they they have not played well against the Yankees. It's it's a little bit hard for me to imagine the White Sox beating the Yankees. It's not hard for me to imagine the Rays and Astros beating the Yankees. Right. But it just you talk about an emergency here. We're we're going to be in the position potentially of having to root for the Houston Astros to win oh, to beat oh. the. I mean, well, how awful would that be? Oh, like, ugh. can't do that. And and secretly. The Yankees or the Astros rather are probably the best team in the AL. Like they have the best run differential. They have the second best record. Uh, or yeah, I think they have this as of now have the second best record. Right now they do. Them and the White Sox are pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're neck and neck. But the the you are really counting on potentially counting on the Astros to be a stopgap, a a, oh, a, yeah. a backstop rather against the Yankees run to the World Series. Who wants that? I mean, this is an emergency. <laughs> this is an emergency. The Astros are an emergency. 
<laughs> they are. I the only thing I can say in in uh, sort of defense, I wouldn't even call it defense, in favor of the Astros is I I love Dusty. I mean, at least there's that. I you know sure. at least there's that. There's something there. By the way, you mentioned uh, Wander Franco and and his ability to hit these crazy Vlad, Vlad Guerrero pitches. Seriously, how many home runs have you seen? that were more jaw-dropping than the home run he hit off of Chris Sale. I mean... Where Sale... I mean, that ball was, what, six inches outside, six inches uh, up, would you, wouldn't you say? I mean, it was yeah. It was unreachable, that pitch. was unreachable. Especially for a guy who's 5'10". Like, it's not... <laughs> it's, you know, at least Vlad Guerrero was tall. Like, yeah, he, yeah. And, it was a big guy, yeah. This is like a... He's like a... He's like... I think he's 5'10". I mean, he's not a large man. Uh, no. It was truly shocking. It was. It was. I could not believe it. And he just sort of flicked it. He's just so it strong. <laughs> he is so strong. This guy. It's really wild. It's really wild. I mean, that was so much fun. Afterward, when they asked Chris Sale about it, and he was like, "Yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? I mean, like, I, yeah. I, I'm not. I don't. Re- I don't regret that pitch. I mean, like, what are, what are you gonna do? Like, like, there's nobody can get that pitch. Nobody." Yeah. And yeah. this guy took it out. Yeah, we are in a, we are in the American League in general is an emergency, but I think we need to discuss the Toronto Blue Jays emergency because this thing is it's it's beyond belief. So I'm looking. You mentioned it, and so I decided to look it up. Uh, the the Seattle Mariners, um, uh, because of their um, uh, uh, run differential. Their Pythagorean expectation for their record is 61 and 73, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. The Blue Jays, because of their run differential, their expectation is 78 and 54. They should be 18 games up on the Toronto on the Seattle Mariners. 18 games up in the wild card. They have a worse record than the Mariners. You explain this nonsense. To it me. is it is absolutely <laughs> inexplicable. This is this is secretly the biggest story in baseball this year because going into the year. <laughs> You were like, man, that team is stacked. They've got Bichette, so they've got they Guerrero, yes. they've got Kevin Biggio. They're getting, they got George Springer in the off season, and then uh, Hin Jun Ryu, and they have, uh, like, they have good pitching. They have legitimately yeah. good, good starting pitching. Their bullpen, I to me, was a little bit of a question. I didn't quite know where they stood in the bullpen, but, but you're like, well, it won't matter. Move. They're they're going to score eleven runs a game, and they're right. going to win like crazy. I cannot. I absolutely cannot explain, and I don't think anybody can, how they are underperforming to the level they are underperforming. That it is, it is. They are the American League equivalent of the Padres, but I think the Padres are, are, um, are, are more explicable in some way. Like yeah, the, Pod, yeah. the Padres have just sort of collapsed. It is so hard to understand how a team can be outscoring their opponents to such a degree at this point in the season and still barely about their eight whatever eight or nine games over 500 it is insane i just i cannot explain it uh i i mean what do you what's your explanation do you have well, one it's i mean i mean look they're the the explanation is that they're losing close games right i mean that's the explanation sure and the explanation is when they win they win big they 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 blow teams out but i'm telling you the thing is that team is so much fun to watch. Uh, that lineup is ridiculous. They're they're so great to watch. And they've got guys in that lineup. I mean, 
Marcus Semyon is basically having an MVP type season yes. again. Yes. I mean, after after falling apart in the short season last year, and the A's given up on him, and boy, boy, that was a great decision on their part, by the way. Um, and the guy's he's got thirty three home runs and and fourteen stolen bases and and playing shortstop. I mean, it's just crazy. Well, the second base, just crazy. Vlad Guerrero is is you know if it was not for Shohei Otani, he's your MVP this mm-hmm. year. Easily. Right, yeah, because of the way he's the way he's been hitting, um, their rotation. I mean, Robbie Ray might win the Cy Young Award. I don't think he will, but I mean, he's he's having that kind of year. Um, yeah, he leads the league in strikeouts, fastest ever to two hundred strikeouts, right? In, right, in the fewest innings or something. I mean, well, right, and and the fastest ever to like for his career, he's got some sort of record that he set. I mean, yeah, it's like. What the heck is going on? And I and I got to tell you, I don't get it. I mean, that team seems to have, like, like, like you don't look at that team and think, oh well, you know, they're just a bunch of individuals or whatever, and you know, it's just not coming together. I mean, that team feels like they're like this this sort of we are family kind of team, and and I don't know, I, yeah. I just don't. I don't. And then get they've it got all. these guys like Alec Manoa, who's who every time I see him pitch is great like i he seems really good his whip is just over one for the year he hasn't pitched that much he's only thrown like 75 innings or something yeah but they got stripling from the dodgers who was he hasn't been as good but he's he was really good on the dodgers he throws hard he's a good reliever they've got all of these guys that you're like man that guy's and they and then they picked up barrios this is the weirdest thing right they pick up barrios at the deadline because and it's like wow they're really going for it and barrios has been bad yeah, them. well, like, not not good. He's not been good. I don't. He's, I mean, he's not been good. His whip is one four seven. Like that. Yeah, that's not yeah. what you want out of your trade deadline uh, starter. So no. yeah, I mean, no. I, I don't know. I, it is they are the biggest mystery. You can totally imagine them bringing the same exact team back next year and winning the division outright and winning eighty or ninety eight games or something. Like it just. I think it's just a weird snake bit bad luck think- kind of a deal. Do you think, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, we never think about this kind of stuff, or at least I don't. I mean, do you think, honestly, that all of the the COVID stuff and them having to play in a million different stadiums and and there's no place that they call home and all that sort of thing, I mean, is that... Does that matter? I mean, is that a factor here? Listen, it's as good an explanation as any, right? Because it's like, if you right? look at what are the right? variables here? What are the things that are different about this team? They've played in three different stadiums. And yeah. by the way, there was a Red Sox Jays series in that in the um, in the Buffalo Stadium a while ago, uh, back in June, I think, where it seemed like every fly ball the Red Sox hit was a home run. <laughs> and so I think it's like it, it does feel a little fluky that maybe that's the fluke. Maybe that if you're looking for like a weird variable that has caused a team that's outscoring its opponents to such a degree to be only eight or nine or 10 games over 500, like maybe that's it. I, I it's a good point. Like I had, I hadn't thought about that either, but it, it can't have been easy to live in, to play in Florida and then Buffalo. And then finally your home stadium in Toronto in the same year and feel like, you know, they're never, you're never actually playing a home game. Like I, I, maybe that's it. And for a bunch of those guys, I mean, really quite a few of those guys, that might've been the first time they've ever been to Toronto. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Springer is certainly Springer. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, Springer has been there at least as a, as a visiting player, but I mean, it's like, yeah, really, really bizarre. All right. 
Let me Here's say one more thing. I want to say one more thing about the Rays, by the way, which is they, they brought up a guy for a, a cup of coffee for a second named Vidal Bruhan, who is uh, he's one of the top prospects in baseball. And one of the one of the great things about the Rays is that their farm system is so deep that they have these guys like a Rosarena a couple of years ago. And um, uh, who was it before? Oh, it was David Price way back in 2008. Oh, sure. Sure. Where like these guys who are their prospects come up in September and October and suddenly matter a great deal to yes. their to their pennant drive. And Bruhan, who didn't particularly play well when he got brought up, is possibly the fastest runner in in all in at, at any level of baseball. Like mm-hmm. it, he is the he is lightning fast and he's a very good hitter. He's another guy who like uh uh is also like he's five nine or five ten or something. And he plays second. He plays a little outfield and he plays second. And there is a possibility that guys like Bruhan come back up now that it's September and and end up contributing very meaningfully to a to a playoff run. Uh, it, at the least as like a pinch hitter or like nine hole hitter who suddenly you you look up and he has stolen 11 bases in <laughs> right, one five right, game series. Right. Um, but that's the other the secret thing about the Rays is that they're so deep. And they have so many guys um, who are who are potential add-ons to this to the core team that that that's the other thing that gives me a lot of hope about uh, about them as a as a potential backstop against the Yankees. It just feels like there's no limit to you know like and and you know I don't follow the Rays that closely. I don't know how many people do. I mean, obviously they play in in uh, in in a terrible stadium with very few fans and and all of these sorts of things but it's like every few weeks they call up somebody new and you're like oh wait so that guy is like now awesome i mean like how yep. they're they're just crazy um it, it really is uh it really is something uh, it's it the really, rays and the dodgers are the two teams that do that it used to be the yeah, Cardinals, but at least right the, but the dodgers are so out there that like you've heard of a lot of these guys before they get called up Right. I mean, like, I remember Will Smith was a little bit of a surprise. Like, like he was, like, a good but not legendary prospect, and then he came up and hit all the home runs. You're like, oh, where would that guy come from? But all the Rays guys feel like they come out of nowhere, just yeah. completely out of nowhere. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really – it's very, very funny, actually. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about my biggest emergency in the American League, uh, right. and this is personal uh, for us. You might remember <laughs> – probably not, but you might – Remember, about a year ago, uh, 10 months ago, something like that, uh, Mike and I had a, a an emergency podcast uh, specific for one thing and one thing only, and that was the Chicago White Sox hiring Tony La Russa as their manager. Um, <laughs> a huge emergency. We, it was a huge, it's it's as big an emergency as you can get right there. That is, that is as big as it gets. And we spent, whatever, 7, 12, 14 hours, whatever it was, um, Lamenting the fact that the White Sox, this unbelievably cool team with all these cool players and all this youthful energy and everything else, hired creaky old Tony La Russa to scream at them and 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 tell them how to really play the game right. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony La Russa has done all of the things that we said he would do. He has, he has made the news multiple times for being the creaky old Tony La Russa that tells people how to play the game right. But you know what's going to happen here? 
He's going to win manager of the year. Tony win manager of the year. And that is an emergency. That is a significant major emergency. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, we don't need to re-legislate this, but he, you know, he, he, called out his own player for uh, hitting a home run in a game off of a backup third baseman <laughs> slash catcher. He, and then, and then did it again the next day. He, no, uh, th- no. Praise the team for pra- throwing at him. Yes, the next day. That's right. I apologize. Yes. He praised the team for, uh, uh, for, for throwing at his own guy. Um, he, uh, he has done, he's done a lot of bunting. Like uh, he's had a lot of people Ugh. bunt in stupid situations He's he's done all of the creaky old uh, wrong-headed things that we all, that we knew he was going to do, and his team, predictably, because they're so loaded and so talented, is running away with their division. And the story of creaky old Tony Larusa coming out of retirement while he's already in the Hall of Fame because he's been out of baseball for ten years, and 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 leading this team into the playoffs is is a narrative that you can imagine oh. being attractive to people and so there's a good chance now i don't i don't know I, there is a lot of other potential managers of the year like all of those i mean it's you know you can imagine um you can imagine uh, what's his name in tampa being manager kevin of the year cash. kevin cash you can imagine uh, you can even imagine Boone being manager of the year if the Yankees. I, I think oh, they'd have. Don't, they, don't even say. They'd it. probably don't have to win the division it. for that to happen. But holding that team together with all of the injuries and all the COVID stuff and getting into the playoffs—that's a possibility. But I'd say odds on favor right now is Tony Larusa. And the the hilarious thing about this is like you're handed. It doesn't matter who you are. If you if you or I had been the manager of the Chicago White Sox. And every day we wrote out a lineup and the lineup included Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson and Yuan Moncada and Grandal and Engel and, and Jimenez when he's healthy. And then we could put Giolito out there and we had that bullpen. And then we picked up Kimbrel, even though Kimbrel has kind of fallen apart for them after he, uh, after he was acquired. Um, but we have Dylan Cease and we have Lance Lynn and we have Radone and we have Liam Hendricks closing <laughs> And Kopech setting up, and Aaron Bummer in the bullpen too, and yeah. and like you, we'd win Manager of the Year. Like that's that's what's so frustrating about this is that there's a decent chance that we would win Manager of the Year because the team would have done exactly what we imagine the team would do when right. you fill out that lineup, which is win most of their games and make the playoffs. So it's it's really frustrating because this was inevitable. Like there was no manager is bad enough at his job to take this team and run it into the ground. It's just, we knew that, and we knew that from the beginning. And so this was always what was going to happen, but it is still an emergency to actually watch it happen. Oh, it's a major emergency. Look, first of all, there are a couple of things. First of all, this is going to be his fifth manager of the year. Award. I mean, <laughs> five managers of the year. And look, and and I'll I'll be the first to say, Tony Russo has been a very good manager. I'm not, I'm not questioning Tony Russo. Uh, as a as a man, he's in the Hall of Fame, and and uh, and he should be. I mean, he, he's he's been a great manager. Um, but I cannot get it out of my head that one, any of us could do this with that uh, White Sox team, and that two, he's actually cost that team wins. I just oh, no kind of feel like that, right? No question. Yeah, I mean, there have been yeah. individual games, and look, every manager has probably cost his team sure, wins at some sure. point. But as we've talked about with Alex Cora, there are also guys who certainly seem to be making the most of what they have. Right. They have a limited roster and they make the most of it. And then there's the team that there's the kind of manager who makes exactly out of his roster what he has or 
makes less out of it than what he has. And it certainly seems like anecdotally that that's La Russa, that a, that a, that a better manager, a more in touch with the game kind of manager, that team might be three or four games better potentially, or maybe more than they are now. The problem is, is that in the AL central, it doesn't matter because every other team is so bad that if, if Lucia cost his team five more games than he's cost them, they'd still be in first place by a comfortable margin. They'd still be, they're still going to make the playoffs. And so he is, his mistakes and his general nonsense are buried in a 10 game division lead in September. And so you, no one is going to look at this team objectively and say, like, hey, this team could have been better. What they're going to see is that the team ran away with the division, and that's why he's probably going to win manager of the year. Of course, here's the thing that that is, I guess, sort of, I, I wouldn't call it comfort because it could very well, I don't know how it's going to play out. But Tony La Russa was not hired to win the division, right? I mean, I think they felt like anybody could. Uh, Tony La Russa was, was hired to win the World Series, right? He was hired to to teach them youngins how to play in the postseason, <laughs> right? That's 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 what we're talking about here. So so that's still uh, to be played out. And mm-hmm. and I will say there will be a little bit of joy if the White Sox would have And look, I love that White Sox team. That's the other thing. I really like that team. I like watching them play. I like a lot of the players on the team. Um but if that White Sox team would lose in the first round, uh convincingly even and then he won manager of the year. It would not sting at that point. It would not sting as much. No, I don't think. No. Right? Uh, although it's uh, it is hilarious that the manager of the year voting happens before the playoffs. It's so, so, stupid. so it doesn't it's matter. So stupid. <laughs> it's look. It maybe it made sense before when winning the pennant was the only thing that mattered. But now that you know making the playoffs is just sort of you know that's that's just table stakes to get in. Um, yeah, I don't think that the regular season is gonna is gonna give us a manager of the year. Frankly, I I mean I think you know there's an argument to be made that the MVP shouldn't be decided till after the World Series. Yeah. I, I think there's a real argument to be made there. Yeah, although the uh, the counter argument is there are postseason MVP awards and there are postseason. There are. You know that uh, so nobody it, cares it, about it, them. But nobody yeah, there nobody are. cares. But at least <laughs> at least you do have a second award for MVP for various rounds of the playoffs. What about a and... postseason manager of the year? Would that that I would like... love postseason <laughs> postseason manager of the year. Like, we should absolutely do that because there's going to be a team uh, every once in a while that sneaks into the playoffs and then the manager pulls all the right strings and wins right? a bunch of games. Like why not give that award? I mean, what's the? Why not? That's a great idea. They should totally. I actually like that. I like that. The postseason manager of the year award, which Dave Roberts would have won last year, and people would have been furious. But I mean, <laughs> but he would have. I mean, yeah. you weren't giving that to Kevin Cash for crying out loud. Not after nope. that last game he had. All right, let's go on to our National League emergencies because there's three or four in the National League as well. We are really in a very the, the times uh, are 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 stark at this moment in baseball. Yeah. yeah. Um. I don't think you can start talking about the National League emergencies without just starting with the New York Mets. I mean, they're just they're just a walking emergency. That's all they are. They're just they're and you know what? They're still five games back. They could still end up winning that division. What a first of all, that division is a disaster. That, a, the entire National League East is a, is an emergency. <laughs> it's an emergency. Uh, they, but but the Mets are obviously the most recent emergency. They they have lost, I think, 12 games in the standings or 11 games in the standings in the last month. Um, they are they have stabilized recently. They've now won four in a row as we're as we're talking here. There's still a game under 500. The real emergency with the Mets is they have scored on September 3rd 501 runs. 
That is the second fewest runs in all of baseball ahead of only the Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> they, they, that is the only team. There's one team that has scored fewer runs than the New York Mets. The Pittsburgh Pirates, man, that is sad. That's bad. That That's is bad. real sad. And they're only they're they're 24 runs below uh, even on run differential. They 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 were actively booing their own fans. The players were booing the fans, thumbing thumbs <laughs> downing their own fans. Yeah, I, that's a good call. You and I didn't talk about this, but we it turns out we both had the same feeling, which was Javier Baez was a bad idea. I I, I we yep. and and I we yep. I I was a little afraid to say that out loud because I really like Javier Baez as we right. often talked about the single greatest moment in in baseball in, at any level that has happened in the last twenty five years is the tag that he put down <laughs> catching Yadi Molina's throw in the World Baseball Classic the Puerto Rico oh. Dominican game the no look tag while he points at Molina to celebrate while the ball is still in the air it's oh. the single greatest act of joyous baseball play I have ever seen in my life the yes. skill level and the and the <laughs> happiness that he is exuding in that moment and that the whole team is exuding is one of the great it's like if you I don't know I don't know how to bottle it and sell it but if you want people to oh. care about baseball that's you should start there exactly in terms right. of getting people interested so I really like him but he did not cure what ails that team at no. all like he just didn't like you know, he's obviously a wizard defensively, but you know, this is a guy who never walks. He does he hits he hits a, a decent number of home runs, but he never walks. He is not a high on base guy. His on base percentage, I think, is under three hundred this year. Like he was not what they needed. Like what they needed, honestly, was what the Red Sox got on the cheap, which was Kyle Schwarber. Like yeah. they needed a guy like Kyle Schwarber who just is on base twice a game minimum because he's got a great eye and he walks and he hits for power and he's just like a that like they just they need like guys who don't make outs and Javier Baez makes a lot of outs and so I really that really seemed like a kind of desperation move. I think I I compared it recently to uh when the when the Brooklyn Nets needed to make a splash because they were moving to their new arena and they t made that disastrous trade with the Celtics where they got Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and right. traded away like 75 <laughs> first round draft choices. And like those guys aren't going to help you win their names. You've heard of them and they, the fans get excited, but they mortgaged their future. It took them a decade to dig out of that hole. Uh, and, exactly and, right. and I felt like it was like Steve Cohen is, has a hundred billion dollars and the team is floundering. And he just, he told his guys, go get me someone I've heard of. And they got yeah. him Javier Baez. And it was just not, I think the Cubs fleeced the Mets on that deal. And I think that uh, just just unloading Baez's salary, when you know you're in a, re a rebuild anyway, just unloading his salary, never mind the prospects they got back, uh, I think that that was a disastrous move for the Mets. And it, it only, in a sense, only accelerated them collapsing. Well, what strikes me about the Mets, so we we talked about the Yankees and how... People come to the Yankees and just suddenly outperform themselves. They just, you know, putting, you hear it again and again, just they put on the pinstripes and suddenly they feel like they're different people. I remember, uh, you know, the, the, a couple of Royals, you know, just coming to the Yankees and just saying it's different here. I don't know. There's something, something completely different about this. Um, but the Mets are the exact opposite of this. Like you, 
The Mets had our top two. We did the uh, funnest baseball player poll a couple years ago, uh, which we'll you know, have to do again next year. Um, and we had people vote on it. And, and the top two players were Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor. Those, finished, those guys finished one and two. They are both um, Mets. Mm-hmm. They both are terrible. <laughs> uh, they both have horrendous attitudes now. I mean, it's like... I, I mean that really is like the the like the grand experiment. I mean, like, okay, well, what happens if you take pure joy, which is Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor, and put them on the Mets? Like, who wins? What? And it it and it's not a battle. It isn't even close. Like the yeah. Mets, like they immediately became horrendously like like totally different. And and I'm sure that inside. Like if they could ever get away from the Mets, like the like all of that would melt away and they would be joyous again. But I mean, it's you know, it's it's brutal. And by the way, we we should say I just wrote this actually for my last piece for the Athletic. My last piece for the Athletic ran. Uh, it's running today, so I will tell you it ran Friday. Uh, and I just wrote this piece. Um, you can't win booing the fans. I mean, I'm not even saying you're <laughs> wrong or right. Forget. That is a loser. That's just a losing proposition 100% of the time. There is there are no exceptions to the I think I'm going to take on the fans now. That is has that ever worked in the history of the world? Uh no. And you're no, right. The question no. is the question is that, that was asked, you're right, is like which force, which which universal <laughs> force was stronger? The Mets misery and 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 awfulness or right. the Lindor and Baez's joy and happiness and the answer is very clear the an- it's been answered <laughs> i mean if you look at lindor this is this is really wild uh, lindor's uh war year by year starting in 2015 yeah. 4 4.6 is rookie year in only 100 games 5.7 5.5 7.9 he was an 8 win player in yeah. 2018 oh yeah mvp candidate there 4.7 the next year forget about 2020 cuz it was only 60 games this year 2.3 i mean he has yeah. he is half so far he is half uh as valuable half as valuable as he was his rookie year yeah. in a, in almost the same exact number of games and there's no sign of it turning around anytime no. soon. And it, it is, it's just, um, it, they are a black hole. They're a black hole <laughs> of joy and happiness. And I, I, I mean, I, I have to say, I don't even 86 aside, I don't wish Mets fans the misery that their team no, inflicts on them. I hate, I don't like any fan base suffering. I, I feel for the lions and I feel for the Browns fan bases in the past i feel for the mets these tortured franchises who just cannot get out of their own way like i really i don't want i don't i'm never going to root for the mets but i don't like how how miserable they make their fans it seems unfair i but but i will say that steve cohen buying that team (laughs) was such it was such a cynical move for the for mlb to make he is a criminal who was yes, who had to right. pay a billion dollar fine for insider trading? He is he was wrapped up in the you know if you listen to or read Ben Reader's book about the Astros, like Steve Cohen was a guy who was who was who was every bit as shady 
as anybody who was involved in the asterisk scandal in terms of all those McKinsey guys who all right. were cheating and lying and living right on the edge of, of like ethical turpitude. Uh, and he has done nothing to indicate that he is a good owner, a smart owner, that he understands the game. He tweets really insane things <laughs> all the time about his own team. He tweets and says, like, I can't believe guys are this bad. Uh, how are these guys this bad at baseball? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, he's, like, calling out his own guys on Twitter. Like, I have to say that I find it kind of satisfying that you can't, even if you have $20 billion or whatever he has, that, you, that you're no smarter than anybody else. In fact, you're significantly less smart in the way that you put your team together, the way you manage your team, the guys that you get at the trade deadline. Like there's something that feels like poetic justice, frankly, because he is not, he's a shady, shady, shady dude. And, and I kind of am enjoying, I'm not enjoying it for uh, the fan misery, but I'm kind of enjoying him failing at this. Like I really do. That brings me some, some amount of joy. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like you have to look very far in that Mets organization for to find other terrible people, uh, former GMs, current GMs, uh, DUIs, and and texts, and ugh, it's it's and that place is it's 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 it a sinkhole. It's a, it, it, it mean, really it's, does. It's a it yeah. needs to. Someone needs to. Someone needs. They need to fire everybody. Walk through there with some sage. <laughs> burn some candles and say a few uh, uh like uh, uh do some kind of chanting some kind of mystical would, chanting and just you know what i would love air. about this you know what i would love it's like they would do that and then suddenly baez and and lindor would like they would sprout like flowers like they would just be like oh you know it's just like the sun would come out like everything would change it's there they the mets i think of the mets like here I'll I'll use a Disney reference since my daughters are now too old to to watch Disney. In Beauty and the Beast, at the beginning of Beauty and the Beast, remember when when uh, you know the the enchantress comes and and puts the spell on the castle. The Mets are the castle after the spell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's dark is tur- and gloomy. It's dark and, and gloomy, and, and people are turned into beasts or or clocks. There's or cobwebs and- <laughs> everywhere. They're just you walk in and you get a chill immediately. Like it just, it's just awful. It's an yeah. awful, awful place. I mean, it's- the interesting thing about about a lot of this stuff is like this has played out. The season is now basically playing out the way we thought it would. Like, if you right. look at all of these, if you look at the standings right now, like the Rays and Yankees are at the top of the AL East. Most people, Pakoda expected the Yankees to win 96 games. They're not going right. to get close to that. But but th- that was basically the way that they thought, that everybody thought it would yes. be. The oh, White yeah. Sox are winning that division. That's what we thought. Right. The Astros are winning the West. That's what we thought. The A's in playoff contention. That's what we thought. The Braves finally have gotten to the top of the NL East after a very middling start. That's what everybody thought. The right. Brewers are leading the Central. That's yeah, pretty much maybe, what everybody maybe thought. Maybe the Cardinals, but but I mean, Cardinals have Brewers. underperformed. Reds have slightly overperformed. Um, but then, and then in the West, the Dodgers finally this week finally took the top spot back from the Giants. Another tied right the now. The Giants are the only surprise left. The Giants are the only surprise. We'll talk about them in a minute. But the yes. Giants, I look around baseball and go, okay, look, everything can be explained. Uh, to some degree, except for the Giants. Yeah. That, like that, they're crazy. But we'll get to them in a minute. But you're okay. right. Everything is playing out about the way you expect it. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So, so the Mets, uh, no, I take no cathartic joy from their fans suffering, but I take a tremendous amount 
of cathartic joy from Steve Cohen failing at this in his first year. It really, I, I really like, it brings me uh, endless happiness and joy to watch him suffer and flail in the way that he is suffering yeah. and flailing. Because yeah. I think he came in, he seemed to come in with the attitude of like, here we go, we're winning the World Series. In the next, whatever he said, like, well, I'm going to win the World Series in five years or something. Right, right. And, right. and I think he's realizing like, oh, you can't, your money and power doesn't just automatically make you smart or good at this. There's a rumor. There was a rumor that flew around the internet yesterday that he was interviewing Theo Epstein or that Theo yes. Epstein was con- being Ugh. considered for the job. Now, this would not surprise me at all. I would surprise me a little if Theo took the job, but it w- yeah. wouldn't like if you are Steve Cohen and you're flailing and you're a game under 500 in a year where you clearly thought like you're I'm here now. I'm Steve Cohen. I'm going to win the World <laughs> Series. What do you do? You go and you talk to Theo Epstein. You talk to the right. guy who did this for the Red Sox and Cubs. And I was, we were speculating yesterday, like, what would he offer Theo Epstein? He has unlimited money. He has absolutely unlimited money. GM salaries do not count against any kind of salary cap. It is absolutely up. Do do whatever you want. I I speculated that he would offer Theo Epstein fifty million dollars a year <laughs> to come and run the team. What do you? What is your? What's your gut tell you? Like, what is he? I was I'm being facetious a little, not that much, but a little facetious when it comes I, to this. What do you think he would offer Theo? I well, I I think about it on two levels. So I I think he would offer Theo whatever record breaking numbers are. He would definitely go above that. So yeah. I mean. I don't think it's 50, but is it 25? Sure. I mean, like, I think he would offer him, he might offer him like part ownership of the team. Right. I mean, that, I really that's think the he move, would, right? right? The, the move is like 20, 25 million a year and 1% of the team. 1% or 5% or 3% or 2% or something yeah. uh, of the team. Here's, here's to me the more interesting question. Uh, I know Theo a little bit. Uh, you've obviously followed Theo forever. Um, would Theo take that job? I don't know. I mean, the, like, here's the thing: if he had, if his if he hadn't won with the Cubs, I think he's more likely to take the job. But right. he's already done it twice with two right. moribund franchises who hadn't won in a hundred years. What is there left to prove in terms of your right. ability to turn the team around? Like, and right. and you look at that team now; they're locked into Lindor for three hundred million over the next whatever it is, twelve years. They're locked yeah. into. They have some really bad contracts. Their farm system is not good. Like it, it's another one of those jobs where it's like, okay, you have to be cool with us sucking for three years uh, yeah. or five years before we're good. And I'm not sure Cohen wants to wait that long. Like right. I think, well, I think so Cohen. Cohen seems like the in the he's in the Steve Ballmer slash Nets owners mode where he's like, I don't care what the money is. I will just go buy all of the best free agents and do this the way that like the That's Diamondbacks right. did in 2001. I'm not sure he wants to wait the length no, of time doesn't. that he would have to wait in the, to do it the right way, which is how Theo does it. He doesn't. And look, this is, I mean, again, it's pure theory and I kind of feel even bad uh, making a theory because, because I, I like Theo a lot and I consider him a friend, uh, but I, but I'm going to just say it. I don't think he takes this job. And the reason is not so much the challenge because I, he loves that. He loves that stuff. Like the more you say like, oh, the Mets can't win, the more that it would interest him. He'd be like, okay, well, wait a minute. Maybe, you know, he can't work for that guy. He yeah, just can't. Right. And it's not, it's not even a question of like personality or whatever. 
what Theo did when he went to Chicago was, and he got this, you know, to, for all the Cubs ownership issues or whatever, he got this. He went there and said, I got to do it my way and you got to get out of the way and you can't bother me. I mean, you just, you know, I don't, I'm sure he didn't put it quite that bluntly, but I think he said, I'll come here if I can do it exactly as I want to do it from beginning to end. That ain't going to happen with the Mets. Not a chance. I mean, it, you know, he could promise that, but that promise would last exactly three days. I mean, there's no possibility. And with that in mind, I think his chance of success is very slim. Yeah. And why do that? You know, right. like, like if, if, there are certain guys, it's like, it's like Jerry Jones, right? It's like, right. If That's you, right. You, there is no version of you running that team without Jerry Jones weighing in and trying yes. and, and, and having to be physically restrained when they, when he wants to draft Johnny Manziel <laughs> in the first round. So you're right. I think if there's a version of that job where it's like, you are not allowed to call me on the phone. You can't come to my office. Yeah, I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a phone and not give you the number of the phone. And if I see you, if I see your face once in or my tweets. or your tweets yeah. in the in in my enter my sphere, I walk. Yeah. Uh, then maybe you do it, but like you just know what you're signing up for. You when know you have what an you're owner like that, for. right? Yeah. You know what you and look, it's not going to be about money for him. I mean, I, I'm sure. He he wants money as much as any of us do, but I but it's he's fine. I don't I don't think that's going to be an issue uh, for Theo Epstein. I I think Theo would be much more interested in um, just something completely different uh, that is that is nothing like anything he's ever done before, and and I that would be where I think his his direction would go. Uh, I don't believe that he wants to be a GM of another baseball team. But I sure as heck don't believe he wants to work for a for a maniacal owner who's going to get in his face all the time. He's just yeah. not that. Why? Why would he? Yeah. All right. But before we leave the NL East, we should, for our, for our dear friend Ellen Adair, give a, a quick shout out uh, to the emergency that is the Philadelphia Phillies because uh, that team is 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 either setting up to to just make everybody in Philadelphia go crazy with joy, or much more likely heartache. Um, mm -hmm. but, but holy cow is Bryce Harper having a good year. What? He's back. Bryce Harper Bryce is back. Harper against all <laughs> odds is back. This is exciting. It is exciting. Is, is he the National League MVP right now? I kind of well, think he is maybe. I, I still think it's got to go to Tatis, but I mean, I just don't know if Tatis is going to get enough. You know, I mean, he's got to stay healthy the rest of the way and, that Padres team has to do it. I mean, I still think Tatis is the most valuable player, but if the Phillies make the playoffs, is Harper the MVP? Because the Padres well, aren't going to Padres yeah, aren't going to make the playoffs, and the, Phil the Phillies, weirdly, even though they're barely over five hundred, have a better chance probably of making the playoffs. Than I the don't Padres know. Are. I mean, the Padres are only a game back, right, in the wild cards. So I, I don't know. I it's funny. I wrote. I actually wrote about this as well in my last piece at the Athletic. Um, it has been since 1987 that both MVPs played for teams that didn't make the playoffs. Wow. Uh, That's the Dawson year, right? Right. Dawson in the uh, in the National League and George Bell beat out Alan Trammell in the American League. And the Blue Jays were really good that year, but uh, they didn't make playoffs. The, the, uh, the, the Tigers beat them for the division. That is the last time that's happened. I think we have a shot this year of it happening. Um... Look, I think Shohei is definitely your MVP. In the shoe in. I, yeah. I just think no that's question. a shoe in. Yeah. 
And I think your top MVP candidates in the National League right now are Tatis, who might not make the playoffs, Harper, who might not make the playoffs. I mean, I I, I think it could happen this year. I don't know that there's anybody on any of those lock playoff teams that is is going to win. I mean, who's the Dodgers MVP? Is it Max Muncy? It's, it is crazy that they don't have, that there isn't a clear candidate. Um, I mean, it, the right. Muncy's been their best player. You know, what's interesting is by the way, as long as we're on the topic of guys who are back very, very quietly, you know, who else is back is Mookie Betts. Mookie, <laughs> Mookie Betts, who was, who was, who was pretty mediocre in an, in a very weird and surprising way. You know, he's been hit by injuries. He's only played in 94 yes. games. His OPS is 889 now. He yep. he's been hitting home runs again. He's been driving the ball. He's been walking a lot. He's now he's now a four win player. He's the he has the second highest WAR on this on the best team in the NL. But right. the but the the Dodgers are one of those teams. The Dodgers are a little bit. This Dodger team to me is like the '98 Yankees, where there's no one guy who is you know, 50 home runs and 160 right. RBIs. It's just that everyone is good. So yeah. you've got Muncie and Betts and Turner and Taylor and Smith and Pollock has been super hot recently and Corey Seager and now Trey Turner is tearing it up. And, and you know, every, every one of their, like, backups, you know, McKinney and Austin Barnes and all of these guys, it seems like anytime you plug them in, they just they just do something important to help their team win. They don't have one pitcher um, who's really dominated. I mean, Bueller is going to win the Cy Young, but he's not an MVP but candidate. Bueller's going to win the Cy Youngs. Yeah, he's not. Gonna, but he's not going an MVP. He's not having the MVP year. No, no, be. no, 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 um, no, no. And uh, you know they. So they. They're. That's the weird thing is neither the Dodgers nor the Giants have one guy uh, who you're like, oh, that's the league MVP. As a result, right. as a result, you're really looking at. You know. Uh, the, by the way, the the. ESPN is the Phillies at 35% to make the playoffs currently and San Diego at 25% for what it's worth. Wow. Um, Interesting. But Bryce Harper, uh, out of nowhere, is a 1,000 OPS guy again. He's got 4.2 war this year, which is o- only slightly higher than Mookie, by the way, in, in 20 more games, uh, just to put the fine point on Mookie being back. But yeah. he has, at a moment when his division, unlike... Um, you know, unlike some other divisions, is actually up for grabs. He has been the guy who's carrying the team. He just homers. He seems to homer every day. He's he's like a, he's he's having that year that everybody expected him to have. I'm kind yeah. of weirdly happy for him. Like I, well, I'm super. You know, happy like it's I. I, I love it. I, I feel like it. he signed that deal, and everybody thought he was a joke and whatever. But like he's having probably his third best year of his career, and suddenly you're looking at him and in, in in the totality of his career. And you're like, hey, this guy's been great pretty much every year, except for well, except for 2016 was sandwiched between two great years. Um, but he's like, he's on a Hall of Fame track. He's like, oh, absolutely. He's like, a, he's a this guy. He's still only 28 years old because he started so young, and he's gonna make the Hall of Fame if he keeps this up. And and maybe that contract, which seemed so bad when he first signed it, it's like, well, maybe, maybe it's going to end up being a good contract for that team. Maybe he's going to be the, an MVP candidate every year. I don't know. I'm, I'm weirdly happy for him. I'm, I'm glad that he is having this kind of redemption story. I am too. I'm super happy for him, actually. I mean, I thought that Philly deal was very strange, but the one thing I really liked about it uh, from, from Harper's standpoint was 
that he put in whatever level no trade clauses he could. He's like, I'm, I'm going to finish my career at Philly. Yeah. I mean, basically that was it. You know, he's like, I'm going to sign with them and I'm going to finish my career. I'm not doing this again. And I really respect that. I mean, you know, they, they wanted to put opt outs in and, and I bet you, uh, that, uh, that uh, you know his uh, his agent uh, <laughs> would 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 certainly wanted some opt outs uh, for him, and uh, he's like, no, I I want to be a Philly forever, and you know I I really respect that, he, and I'm I just think he's having a fantastic fantastic season. Um, I'm sitting there trying to figure out why, and I think the only reason that the Phillies have a um a, are considered a better chance is because they could win the division or they can make the wild card, right? Yeah. Like that's because yeah. the Padres can't win the division. So right. that's their, their 14 games back as we talk. So, so I think that's it because the Padres have a better record and they're closer in the wild card. I'm a little surprised that, that, uh, but I guess you have two, two options for the Phillies to make the playoffs. Well, also you I have, s- you have the Phillies, the Phillies are two games back in a division where the, where the, the team that's leading the division Right, it doesn't seem like as strong a team as the teams yeah. that are leading. You know, like it's well, so it, certainly not without their best player. Right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, you know. like uh, I Acuna and, and Albies went down with a fouled a ball off his knee the other day, and you know they're four and six in their last ten games. The Dodgers just swept them in in L. A. Like I, I mean, I if you had to, if I had to bet right now on which team makes the playoffs, Padres or Phillies, I'd bet the Phillies. I think interesting. I'd, yeah, interesting. I think the Padres are going to win that wild card spot. I still think at the end of the day, they're better than the Reds. I just think they're they're and I maybe that that Cardinals team has been playing better and and they might be you know that's a team that could they're the ones that are going to break. You know what? It's going to end up being a Yankees Cardinals World Series, and we're just going to be like, oh god, no. it'll be just, it'll be a just... it'll be a it'll be a Yankees Phillies World Series, and <laughs> we'll be counting on Bryce Harper to save us. <laughs> which which I'd be all for. All right, last emergency is of course in the National League West, um, and I, it's not an emergency in the same way that the others, because I don't think uh, that that either of us are are bothered by this at all, because it's kind of a cool thing. But I don't have any earthly idea how that Giants team is keeps defying gravity. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I, I've I've studied that team. I've looked at them. I've 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 tried to figure out. I mean, look, they've got a lot of good players, but they're ancient. They're all old. Uh, that team was no good last year, and they're they're having to do all sorts of things to sort of preserve, you know, Buster Posey and these other guys. You know what? They're going into the weekend right now, tied for the lead in the division with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Explain. I cannot. I don't <laughs> understand it. They're playing like Mike Yastrzemski is playing a prominent yeah. role in their offense. He's a 220 hitter with a 755 OPS. That's right. They have Lamont Wade Jr. seems to do something incredible every day. He's at he's an 838 OPS guy, which is pretty good, and I think yeah. that, that that's like a surprise. They obviously picked up Chris Bryant, who's been pretty good for them since he since he came over. But it it you know Darren Ruff, that's that's their best hitter. Darren Ruff, Ruff is their best is hitter. Their best hitter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think they're pretty great defensively. Crawford is a magician, and that yes, helps he a lot. And um, and Brandon Belt very quietly in 77 games has like a 900 OPS. Um, yeah. Evan Longoria well, is still lum- Posey's been great. Evan Longoria is still lumbering around over there at third. 
<laughs> Wilmer Wilmer Flores is it always seems to do something great, and then you look and you're like, well, he hits two forty nine. He's got a three nineteen OBP. Like, what is happening here? Donovan Solano is not well, great. Like, the, who are these no. guys? I don't understand it. No. And 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 then you know they're pitching. I guess the the real answer is they're pitching, right? Right, because, because they've got five guys named Kevin Gossman who are all pitching great. Yes, they've got five guys, all of whom are named Kevin Gossman, <laughs> spelled slightly differently, who all have whips just over one. Uh, and and you don't ever like you anytime you look at who's starting for them, you're not scared. You're not scared no. about Gossman or no. Di Sclafani or Alex Wood or or Cueto. Cueto is still Cueto's like yeah. an important part of this team. Like right. I mean, right? Cueto's an important part of this team. Cueto is 108 years old. Yes, he is, and he still is super cool and super fun to watch pitch. <laughs> I really I love, I, watching I, I love watching him pitch. <laughs> but no, it, this is the biggest, the single biggest mystery of the year. Obviously, is how this team, this team of 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 ancient guys, is is whatever 36 games over 500, toe to toe with the Dodgers, beating the Dodgers regularly. Um, it is it is truly bananas. And and if you looked at the Giants roster before the year and the Padres roster before the year, you and you predicted their records, you would flip their records. Straight oh, of course up. you would. You would absolutely say the Padres are eighty five and forty nine, and the Giants are seventy one and sixty three, and that would make perfect sense. Yeah, if that. Yeah, like that would that would right. that would have made perfect sense uh, before the season started. It is truly truly bizarre. I mean, the Dodgers have now seemingly righted the ship. Mookie's back and playing really well. Their hit their lineup is absurd. They're getting Kershaw back sometime this month, um, and he'll be you know his big problem has always been durability. But he will be he hasn't pitched in forever, so he should be nice and fresh heading into the playoffs. They still have Bueller, who's going to win the Cy Young. Their biggest question, the Dodgers, to me, their biggest question is Kenley Jansen because I I and I said this in a text recently to you. As long as Kenley Jansen is their closer, I think every team in the NL has got to feel pretty good because he's been okay. Yeah. He's been okay, and he's he's actually pitched a lot better very recently. He closed like three games in a row, I think, against the or maybe two out of three. I think Joe Kelly closed the other game against the Braves, but he's he's been better. His pitches have more movement. I think he's figured something out. But man, oh man, was he shaky in the middle of the year? Like he was Oof. just. He was throwing very, very flat 91-mile-an-hour fastballs that were just being launched into the ether. And I and they, you can't really have anyone else close on that team. Like you, I mean, I think in the playoffs, like, you know, last year, when they won the World Series, it was Julio Urias who, was, who actually closed the last, uh, the, the, the final game of the series. You might get into a situation where you're using one of those guys as like a super reliever, um, potentially, but like, you can't get all the way through the playoffs without Kenley Jansen being good, and that to me is their biggest question mark. Well, and that Giants team, like again, they're all veteran guys. They're all Jake McGee's and Tyler Rogers and <laughs> Jose Alvarez. They're just a bunch of and, but they're all pitching good. They're yeah. all pitching good. That, that's by the way, to me, probably been the super secret sauce for that Giants when they won the six, you know, the three World Series and six years and and uh, and. They always like have a bullpen, and it's always filled mm-hmm. with a bunch of guys that you're like not super impressed with individually, but uh, but they always find a way. I don't know. I mean, look at this point, I I can't pick against the Giants. I just don't. I mean, it it doesn't make sense. I still think the Dodgers are pretty clearly better, and I think they'll win the division. And but I mean, 
you know, as long as the Giants keep doing it, I, I it's what are you going to do? What are you going to say? There's one other emergency. It's less of an emergency, but it's worth mentioning. It's a, it's a minor emergency. And the minor okay. the minor emergency in the NL Central is Joey Votto. Yes. Uh, yes. Joey Votto, podcast favorite, Joey Votto. Yeah. Uh, once again, just being Joey Votto, hitting home <laughs> runs in 100 straight games. He's have in 923 OPS driving his team toward the playoffs or a potential playoff run. They, the, there's a, there's a, actually a couple emergencies on this red team. Votto is an emergency that needs to be talked about. Also podcast favorite, Nick Castellanos doing yes. ex- like an absolute bargain. I don't know why more got more teams didn't. I mean, I think they're paying him like 18 a year or something like right. that. Right. So it's like, it's not like he's cheap. But man, oh man, what a player he is. What a hitter. What a what hitter. A hitter. What a Jeez. great story. And then they have these other guys like Jonathan India, which is a, a wonderful name. Like Jonathan India is like a great action hero name. It's like <laughs> yes. it's basically Joe Montana, but the baseball version. It's like a, 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 a common first name. And then the last name is a place on earth. I love names like that. Oh, I uh, so Jonathan India out of nowhere um, is having a great year. Jesse Winkler, Tucker Barnhart, all these guys, Kyle Farmer, Tyler Naquin, like this team is really fun. I don't know if they're actually going to get over the top and actually make it into the playoffs, but what a great story that the Reds matter in September. That's wonderful. Oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, and this is pure, I mean, in my view, it's pure Votto. I mean, it's like, it's uh, that team, they were banging. They were they were finding ways, and you know Wade Miley's actually had a really good year, and and a couple of other pitchers have been been solid. Their bullpen has been terrible. Yeah, just uh, I mean abysmally bad. Uh, but they still keep finding ways to win, and and Votto that ballpark is like it's what a bandbox that ballpark is. Yeah. I mean it's just a it's a it's it's. It's a that's a fun little ballpark anyway, but it's just like it's like the ball seems like a Super Bowl in that park and and but Votto basically at some point said, you know what, I just want to be Joey Votto again and and just started mashing home runs left and right, and that team started winning and that team like suddenly was like I don't know how it really affected their record, but maybe that's the first time I noticed them, but suddenly they're like wow they they could they could win the division. Here, here's, I mean, not win the division, but uh, but make the wild card. Yep. But it, but here's the thing: what chance do they have in a wild card game? I mean, if they're playing at home, right? Which they currently would be. They currently they would be hosting the Padres. You know? <laughs> no, did, no, is that right? No, yeah. they'd be ho- the Giants would be hosting them, wouldn't they? Oh, I'm oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I forgot about the yeah, Giants. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, they're yeah. they're battling the Padres. They're battling the Padres was, yeah. for the second slot, right? Sorry, I yeah. apologize. So yeah. they, so they're going to San Francisco. The yeah, chances of the, they, I mean, they, they'd have to get very lucky. They'd have to have Joey Votto would have to hit three home runs, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and Castellanos have to hit eight doubles in the game or something. Yeah. And, uh, which is not impossible. By the way, let, let's say that one more time. Because uh, when you and I and Nick Offerman went out to Chicago, uh, basically our big uh, goal was to watch Nick Castellanos hit doubles. That's right. Because he was, he was trying to get 60 for the year. He, he did not quite get there. But but he was trying to get to 60. And, or or did he get to sixty? I mean, he was trying to break the record. I, he was I trying to break remember. the the record, the sixty. He was trying to break the record of sixty six, yeah. which he didn't come close. Right. Uh, but uh, he yeah fifty eight. He had fifty eight. I I didn't think he quite got to sixty. Um, 
But but here's the thing. You you watch him hit and you're like, holy cow. I mean, like, we hadn't really thought about him. He'd never been an all-star game up to that point. I mean, it was just like, oh, Nick. And you just, like, I don't think there's a better pure hitter in baseball than no, this he's, guy. No, he's I mean, flown just... under the radar because he's played in places like Detroit and then briefly in Chicago and th- for a team that was okay. And then yeah. and, and now then in, in Cincinnati, yeah. but like. Look, go, go look at him, man. Go look, go look at that guy's stats. He's a, he is. A, I, I thought that was one of the best signings of any team in yeah. the offseason. I just, I, cause, and cause we were tracking him so, um, so thoroughly, but he's still young. He's still on the right side of 30. You know, he doesn't, yep. he doesn't play a, a premium position, but I think he's a decent outfielder. I don't really know. It seems like a I don't think he's outfielder. a great outfielder. He's like no, fine, but, but, but he's fine, but he'll, he'll, yeah, he'll get the job done. But he's, I, a, I mean, he's point. been, a, he's basically been a, you know, he's been a, you know, he had a thousand OPS for the, for the, uh, Cubs that, that in those 50 games he played with them yep. in 2019, he, he was 800 with the Tigers before that. He's been in the 825 to 850 range his whole career, and he seems to be hitting his, peak right now he's got yeah, a career good. high in homers he's got a he's he's got a you know he's hitting three he's might win the batting title i mean it's it's really like a, a an incredible fly under the radar success story uh so you know i i i hope they make it because i i would feel bad for the padres if they snuck in there if the reds snuck in there but it would be a really fun story if the reds came out of nowhere to make the playoffs i think it'd be super well just for joey Votto alone it would be super fun we would do we would do like three joey Votto podcasts just for that one game so (laughs) yeah all right all right i think we're through the emergencies let me go let us go to uh, my interview with nick davis Okay, so I'm thrilled to be joined by my friend. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, uh, Nick Davis, uh, director, author, all sorts of things. Nick, first of all, welcome. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. This is great. The last time we talked, I be- on, at least on the podcast, uh, I believe was uh, when you did the wonderful Ted Williams documentary for PBS, um, uh, which was... Fantastic, and uh, you decided you had a, you needed a little more baseball in your life. Is that, yes, what, is that what we're talking that, about? That is exactly what happened. <laughs> uh, and in fact, the day that uh, Ted Williams aired on American Masters on PBS, I had a long scheduled meeting at ESPN, and I talked to them that morning. And and you know, the only reason they took the meeting is because they knew about the you know the Ted Williams thing, and they said, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "Well, why have?" why has there never been a multi-part series about the 1986 Mets? And they were like, oh, we get pitched that all the time. It's a timing <laughs> thing. In order to do that, you would need, and the guy gave me a laundry list of things that I would need, none of which was, you know, all that daunting, but it was a long list. And uh, about a year and two months later, I walk into ESPN, pitch the series. I had Major League Baseball on board at that point. That was on their list. I had the Mets on board. I had a 25-page treatment. I had a well-worked-out pitch. And most of all, one of the items on the list was the guy said, you know, that first meeting, like, you know, no offense, Nick, but you need a Megillah. You know, you need a godfather. (laughs) You know, you can't just walk in here by yourself. And I had Jimmy Kimmel as the executive producer (laughs) of the project at that point. So meeting went great. And as I'm leaving, that same executive pulled me aside and he said, no one ever listened to me before. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see what they did not appreciate, what they did not know walking in is that you 
are a gigantic psychotic Mets fan. So you were going to move mountains to make this happen is what it sounds like to me. Yes. Yes. I, I did feel all my life. Like I, I, you know, everybody has their thing, you know, right. some people feel like, wow. Oh, to be there where the Beatles were in Hamburg and that was forming or God, you know, Fitzgerald and Hemingway in the twenties, like what my stats has been like, I felt growing up as that team was being formed from the moment Doubleday bought the team, I was like, wait a minute, something really cool and different is happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear, you know? And it was like, it was so thrilling to watch that team be built. Um, and there was a sense like, as with the Beatles or any of these things, like, hey, there's a self-mythologizing thing going on. But we all felt like, you know, they get Keith, they get Gary, Doc and Daryl come up. You felt like something really cool is happening. And um, I remember being at a game in August of 85, thinking it's not going to be like this again. Like, you know, soak this up because this is special. Um, so that was, no. yeah. No, that's right. Well, look, it, it is special. Okay, so let's get some of the details out of the way. The documentary is called Once Upon a Time in Queens, and it will be, it's a four-part, four-hour, how, how is this? Yeah, how is this it's thing? a four-part documentary series. Uh, it's airing originally on ESPN over two nights, the first two parts, the first night on September 14th, Great. second two parts on the second night, September 15th, but it'll also be on you know, ESPN digital and all these kinds of platforms uh, after that. And actually it's airing simultaneously on ESPN two uh, where it will be bleeped uh, heavily. bleeped. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, so the clean version is on ESPN two. Yeah. So ESPN two is like the family channel. No, that's, what's crazy. The clean version is on ESPN. Oh, okay. okay. Ver <laughs> I love it. The bleeped version is on ESPN two. So, uh, you know, they, they want family, to go watch family go on watch ESPN on ESPN too. and then uh, yeah. yeah that is that is that is beautiful so yeah uh all right so uh, look we're gonna we're gonna really get into the into the 86 Mets it's it's an unbelievable story and I don't think you had to be a Mets fan uh live in New York or anything to appreciate just how unusual that team was there's so much about that team including this sort of uh, tragic element to them, right? I mean, the, the fact that they only won it once, you thought they were going to win every year, you know, obviously uh, Dwight Gooden and, and Daryl Strawberry and, and the way their careers turned and all these other things. But uh, when you take on a gigantic project like this, and obviously you spent a lot of time preparing it and thinking about it, you know, even before we started, what is sort of the, I, I find that when I'm doing any project, I sort of need like a, like a okay, this is what it's about, and then and then I you know build out from there. Like there's like there's like maybe it's not one thing, but it's something that you sort of cling to. What what was it about that '86 Mets team that you sort of said, okay, this is this is where I began? Well, that's a great question, and I think there's a lot of different ways to answer it. I feel like just as a storyteller, um, I'm lucky enough to be married to a brilliant novelist, and mm -hmm. and as I was talking to her about it. Uh, my wife, Jane, said um, at some point very early on, she was like, this is a heist movie. 
And that gave me a metaphor on which to hang certainly the first part of the four parts and actually sort of the whole architecture that this is a band of rogues and rapscallions who come together for one great score. So you need a cat burglar, Lenny Dykstra. You need a getaway driver, Keith Hernandez. You need the mastermind, Davy Johnson. You are actually Frank Cashin, you know, you know, Hernandez, the, the you know, Strawberry. The, all of these guys had their roles and they each come on to form this team that's only going to come together for one great score. And what's interesting is as a Met fan, of course, I lived through the incredible disappointment of 87, <laughs> 88, 89, 90, you know, and, and watching it all dribble away. And I did come into this project with a sense of like, oh yeah, this is so tragic. This is, you know, why didn't they win more? After interviewing these guys and really immersing myself in the project, it's not a tragedy that they didn't win more. It's a miracle that they won once. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, that what they were doing off the field and sometimes, you know, in the, you know, behind the dugout, like you, you just don't get the sense that they were um, constructed for a long run. Right. You know, they were constructed for one great score and, and they did it. And, and like a heist movie, the thing nearly goes off the rails a half a dozen times, both in the in the you know preseason and in the regular season. And then, of course, in the playoffs and series where it's one near death experience after another. Yeah, I, I mean, it really is. A, it's a great it's a great way to think about it. It's a great way to look at it. I, you know, is it more of a miracle that uh, that Dwight Gooden was who he was in 84, 85, 86, or that he became the pitcher that he became after things went off the rails, right? I mean, it's like right, he, right. he was already living that life and while, when he was, you know, the greatest pitcher, uh, you know, in, in maybe in the history of the game for, for that little stretch of time. So, so that's really incredible. First of all, what was the response? Because obviously you, you had to start going to all of these Mets, uh, they've done stuff. There've been books about them, obviously. Uh, and you had to tell them this is going to be something different. Yeah. I think that they, I think, you know, when ESPN first said, Oh yeah, we get pitched this all the time. I think some of the Mets had that feeling as well. Yeah. And, um, and also a sort of like, Oh, not this again, you know, Doc and Daryl. Uh, and it's like, no, we're not just doing Doc and Daryl. That's two of the 25 guys on the team. We're doing the entire team and we're doing the epic tale of not just the team, but the uh, the city and yeah. the, the times, you know, we begin in 1977 and it's it's. It is. It's an epic story of how this team and the city were in the toilet in 1977 and how both of them came back to life. And, and like a phoenix rising by the mid 80s, the city is as swaggering as its beloved ball club. And it, you know, it doesn't last. It doesn't last <laughs> on the on the field and, and it didn't last in New York City. And, you know, three weeks after Terry Pendleton hits the home run, uh, Wall Street is Black Monday and the Wall, Wall Street crash. And so the go-go 80s come to a screeching halt right after the dynasty that never was ends, you know, so it's, it, it isn't just, and I think once the Mets and, you know, the organization and then the individual players heard, okay, this guy, you know, he's going to try to tell the complete story. It's not, you know, just, you know, he's not just ambulance chasing. Um, I think they all felt like, oh, well, good. And, and the other thing that was, I think, on our side is, you know, time. 
it had been 35 years. And I yeah. think a lot of these guys in previous years were more conscious of guarding their reputations. And you get up into your 50s and 60s and you sort of feel like the hell with it man like uh, i'll tell you what happened and 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 it was a great moment for all of them you know i think they're all past the disappointment of what might have been and they're all really grateful that they did have 86 well sure i mean and, and look this is uh there really is the passage of time obviously gary carter's not with us anymore i mean there you know there's there is this sense of and there's a whole generation of people who know nothing about that's this right. team you know yeah. I mean, that's that yeah. there, there's, there's a bunch of kids who are like what what the heck are you even yeah. talking about and I, I wanted to make something for them and also for people who didn't know about the 86 Mets or didn't like them you know I was really happy we had people who didn't like them you know at one point we have um you know Howard Bryant says even if you didn't like them you, there's a part of you that kind of misses them when they're gone sure because they were so charismatic and larger than life they were they were happy to be villains to those who thought they were villains, but they were also happy to be heroes to those who thought they were heroes. I love where this starts because you talk about 77 and I have not thought until I saw this about the blackout of 77, which of course is, is, is renowned uh, and was the focus of the, the Bronx, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, Bronx zoo Yankees and, and books and, and everything else. But that that was so close to the Mets uh, trading Tom Seaver, and which is undoubtedly, I would say, for for real, you know, our age Mets fans and and and, and older, that's that's the low point, right? It does not get lower. The team was no. terrible, and yeah. you trade away Tom Seaver. Yeah, you had nothing at that point. <laughs> you had no hope, and it was just the misery of, yeah. of those years, combined with the fact that the city was in this horrible spot, and the Yankees were back to being the Yankees. Yes, that yes. is a Met fan. It was just like, wait, what happened? You know, and and one of the things I hope the the series does is restore the idea that. New York City is a National League town. This whole second, the, the little brother stuff, and, and forgive me if I get on a soapbox for a moment, <laughs> this little brother idea didn't take hold until the 90s. It, this was a New York, this was a National League town. The Mets outdrew the Yankees consistently sure. after moving into Shea Stadium. And, and there was this little moment when the Yankees had reclaimed the city in the late 70s, but that was an aberration. And really the 80s and the Mets taking the town back was a restoration of National League Baseball ruling supreme in New York City. Um, so uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but, but then came the 90s, unfortunately. And uh, Yes, and, and, <laughs> and you know, one thing we don't really have time to get into, except if you're really paying close attention, <laughs> is what happened after 86. And right. I think a lot of Met fans would point to the ownership story um, and say that that was part of it. In 1980, Nelson Doubleday buys the team. And the next thing you know, in November of 86, it is announced that Doubleday Publishing has sold the team to Nelson and to Fred Wilpon. Yep. And Fred Wilpon becomes co-owner in November of 1986. And as I asked Joe McElvain in an interview, is it a coincidence that they haven't won <laughs> since? And he laughed hilariously and said, no comment. <laughs> the 
incredible. Cutting room floor. That's the cutting room floor. That's I mean, yeah. It, it doesn't make it in. Unfortunately, you know. it doesn't make well, it in. But but you know, be it, that's yeah. your next talk right there. There's your yeah your, right. What, well, I had to negotiate constantly between the filmmaker and the Mets fan. Of course. And, and when it came down to it, the filmmaker always won. Yes. Know? Yes. It has to. Has yeah. to. Yeah. The incredible run of of trades drafting everything that just worked out to create that team really is. I mean, you, you talk about, uh, you know, a, a heist film, you talk about an oceans 11 kind of thing and, you know, oceans 11 always spends the first, whatever, 25, 30 minutes talk about how they came together in the first place. Right. Like, you right, know, right. assembling so, the team, assembling the team. Yeah. 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 And that was really, I mean, you know, obviously, getting the number one pick to get strawberry. Right. And, and, and getting when Gooden was the number two, three pick, he was a uh, number five, number five, but you know, that was a time. And I still, I think still, when, you know, taking a high school pitcher is right. usually right. sort of frowned upon. Right. Frowned upon. And of course he, he was, uh, he was free, but then getting Keith Hernandez away from the Cardinals when, you know, when, when he was in the middle of his war with the, with that organization, uh, getting Gary Carter away from the Expos after, you know, he was such a, such a legend. And then having like, you know, these guys like Mookie and that, that were sort of been around anyway. I mean, it was, it really is fascinating how that team came together. It is. And, and uh, you know, uh, Jeff Perlman, the author of sure. the bad guys one, you know, he, he says to him that, that he always viewed Frank Cashin like, uh, like he was the penguin on Batman, you know, like he was this sort of criminal mastermind and he was putting the whole thing together. And there is, there is this crazy sense that like almost every move he made worked, not all of them. I mean, he right. brought George Foster on, which was great because it announced to Major League Baseball, like, hey, the Mets are for real. They mean business. Yeah. It didn't work out with George Foster. No, gosh, it really no. didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it really didn't. But, um, but, you know, it was like a sign that like, okay, not everything's going to work, but we're really going for it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the double trades for Hernandez and Carter were, were both miracles that these other organizations had soured on these terrific, you know, Hall, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame players. Yeah, yeah sure. Hall of Famers. Yeah. Well, I think Keith Hernandez should be in the Hall of Fame. We don't even we don't need to get into that again. But we no, we, we, we don't. We, I, obviously, <laughs> I do, and I, it's uh, the unspoken agenda of this film to get him there. Exactly as well. It should be. So so look so you, so you're you're putting this film together. And, and, you know, you, you're, you're getting there and then there's all of this extraordinary footage and cool things that you found from, from 86 and, and angles that people haven't seen and, and all of these cool things. How much fun is that for you? It's just uncovering all of it. And it's gotta be a ton of hard work. It's a, no, I mean, yes, I suppose it is, but it is ridiculously fun. And I mean, the number of times I, I would complain about how exhausted I was and then say, but honestly, what else would I rather be doing? <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it's just uh, you know, sort of heartbreaking to be at the conclusion of it now that, that I won't be getting to just, you know, work on, well, I gotta find a great cutaway of Doug Flynn, you know, it's just like, <laughs> it's you know those those kinds of little decisions as well as obviously the big ones um have just been such a joy and yeah finding the footage you know major league baseball um you know it was right as they started filming a lot of stuff and they did have this behind the scenes documentary crew there uh, often on that summer they got stuff that no one had ever seen before and angles on you know the ground ball that mookie hit and yeah. and then afterwards i mean that 
camera that rushes out to Mookie. You never think about Mookie on the mound afterwards, but like we get to see Mookie on the mound and then following Mookie into the dugout and then down the long tunnel into the clubhouse. That's like, a, you know, that's just a golden find that makes episode four for us. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah, it's really incredible. I mean, you start off actually with a close up of Mookie coming out of the box after he hits it. So you don't even see Buckner. You just see right. Mookie. Yeah. But then I, I was noticing as I'm watching, I'm like, Mookie's rounding first and running hard to second. I'm like, where's he going? His run doesn't count. Where, where, where's he going? Um, yeah, but, he, see, he said that too in the interview. He was like, I don't know what I was doing, but I just kept going, you know? <laughs> it was perfect. All right, break yeah. it down for us without giving obviously anything away. I, You know, you start really by sort of leading us up. That's the first episode is really leading us up to 86. Yes. And then how does it break down from there? So what are people going to see that first night? What are they going to see that second night? So the first night, right. The first night breaks into the two episodes. The first hour, the first part is the forming of the team, the, yeah. the coming together of the team. And it ends, uh, you know, at the last night, the last game of the 85 season fan appreciation day when the fans and, and everybody seems to feel like, OK, we fell short to the Cardinals this year. It's not going to happen again. Yeah. Uh, and the second um, episode, you know, there's a saying in Hollywood, the promise of the premise. And that's what the second episode is. It's like, OK, you want a great, wildly talented, wildly entertaining, wildly you know, self-destructive and destructive team. We're going right at it in episode two. <laughs> so that's kind of the first half of the season. They get in four brawls. They get arrested in Houston. It, you know, there's the drugs. There's the women. It's like it's all there in the second episode. Uh, and then the second night, um, with I mean, with so many hints of danger along the way in the second sure. episode. Uh, and then the third and, and fourth episodes are this second half of the season, the clinching uh, night against the Cubs at Chase Stadium, which is just a scene of urban debauchery <laughs> on the field that, you know, sadly, we'll never get to experience again, even if the Mets ever do win again. Right. Uh, we will be kept from that kind of celebration. People don't allow that anymore. Not anymore. No. no. And, you know, Cashin even went on the uh, scoreboard and, and said, you know, please, uh, you know, refrain from running on the field. And, you know, that a lot of good that did them. And, and then the playoffs against Houston, that near death experience with Mike Scott, you know, shutting them down in games one and four and looming over game six because yes. he was going to pitch game seven. Um, and then, uh, and then episode, and then the episode four is, you know, the world series and, yeah. and the aftermath. What, uh, a, what an unbelievably epic postseason that whole 86 thing was. I mean, obviously it's been said, yeah. but you cannot recreate. I don't think you as a Mets fan, uh, a couple of my best friends are Mets fans and, and, and the panic about game six, because it was not, it was not even a question. They were not going to be able to hit Mike Scott in game seven. Right. I mean, like that was just accepted. It seemed to be accepted by them. That's, yeah. you know, like, I think a lot of fans were like, Oh no, we'll get it done. We always get it done. But right. I think, right. I think when you talk to them, you realize like, like Lenny Dykstra is like, look, let's just, I mean, he, you know, and then he's, he, I can't quote him on this program, but I mean, of course, you know, he's no chance, no chance. And you know, they, they couldn't hit him and, and he was in their heads. So it's like, Going into a game where you know you can't hit the guy and you've, you're defeated already, like, yeah. it, it's a good thing they didn't have to find out. <laughs> find out. And, of course, that 86 uh, Red Sox-Angels series was was 
effort beyond belief. And yeah. And then it's, of course, it's, it's the Red Sox and Mets. I mean, like if it was any, even if it was the Yankees and Mets, it wouldn't have been the same thing. No, I mean, obviously it would have been. been a whole other thing, but the Red Sox with all of their, all of their history and agony and, and, and concern. And, and you get this feeling that there is not a Red Sox. Like every Red Sox fan who watched that series will never forgive themselves because with two outs and nobody on, you know, they thought they had it. You just, even even they thought they had it. Even a Red Sox fan who had been through the misery was like, okay, we're going to win. And no, no, they they did. We, we, you know, we did this thing and it begins episode four where we asked people to send in their memories of where were you during game six of the world series. And we didn't specify only Met fans. So we got a lot of Red Sox fans and so many of them sent in these moments of misery where (laughs) I remember one guy, we didn't end up using it, but he said like, I opened the champagne bottle. Oh yeah. And he blames himself (laughs) to this day. Yeah. Red Sox fans should never accept that. All right. This is so exciting, but here's the thing. That's not the only thing you're doing. That's not even the only thing you've been working on, uh, which is just nuts because that's pretty big and probably took up 23 hours of your day. (laughs) And yet you found time in the other hour. You've written a book that is coming out at the exact same time. This is crazy. It is. It's a crazy, crazy coincidence. And and to be fair to myself, I had completed the manuscript before we sold the oh, series. Okay. So I had okay. I had already ex- <laughs> I had an accepted manuscript, but I've been editing and going back and forth with the editor and stuff. Yes, I have written a book that is in the craziest coincidence of my lifetime being released by the publisher Knopf on the exact same day that uh, the documentary's first two hours air it's, on ESPN. It's crazy. It's one of the first yeah. things you told me when, when, when we first met, uh, we just started talking about family and this, that, and you said that your grandfather was Herman Mankiewicz, which I just thought was crazy. The, the, the extraordinary Hollywood writer and, 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 you know, there's there's a movie out, Mank. I mean, he was he was quite the quite the yeah. character. And yeah. you've written a book about your grandfather and your great uncle competing with Inc., uh, with idiots, Herman and Joe Mankiewicz, a dual portrait. Uh, so, look, I'm I can't wait. I am so excited. I'm a I'm a I'm a Mank head or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but tell us a little <laughs> bit about it. Tell, I mean, well, I know well, that I, I didn't realize there was such a thing as a Mank head, but I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm president. I'm president of the Mank heads. Uh, but yeah, no, that's I mean, this is, uh, I know this has been something that you've been fascinated with all your life. Yeah. Well, so uh, yes, I have uh, my entire life, you know, the only sense I can make of this crazy coincidence is my entire life. I, I have no memory of not being a Mets fan. I have no memory of not being Herman Mankiewicz's grandson. Mm-hmm. And, um, So it was like sort of a defining thing for me. And I sold this book, got the book contract in 2003. So I have been working on this book, (laughs) you know, off and on uh, for years and years and years. And it's the story of it's, it's a dual portrait, as you say, of Herman and Joe. They were very, very. Uh, they had a complicated relationship. They were both very fascinating, interesting men. Herman was wildly talented and wildly self-destructive and immensely funny and talented and warm. And Joe was also talented, super witty, smart guy, but also focused and ambitious. And, And their relationship and their dynamic, and Herman was 11 and a half years older, uh, and, it, you know, that's that's what the book is about and, and how their two careers 
kind of intersected uh, and, and um, you know, the, the, the sort of emotional autobiography, as I like to think of it, uh, for Joe was all about Eve, which is about a larger than life, gregarious, big hearted, wildly charismatic and beloved older artist, right? Margot Channing, played sure. by Betty Davis, and then the scheming younger usurper the cold, <laughs> ambitious artist, uh, Eve Harrington. Um, and, uh, and you know, it, it's my contention and the contention of the book. And it's not an original uh, thought to me that that's an emotional autobiography on Joe's part, because that's kind of what happened. You know, Herman was big and had enormous success. One of the first great screenwriters out in Hollywood. Sure. Started the great wave of, of Eastern writers out to Hollywood by sending the telegram back to Ben Heck saying... <laughs> You know, will you accept 300 a week to work for Paramount Pictures? The 300 is peanuts. Uh, you're only, you know, there's millions to be made around here and your only competition is idiots. Don't yeah. let this get around. Yeah. So that's where I got my title. And and then Joe came out uh, when he was of age and, and Joe respected the game. And Herman didn't. Herman thought it was a lark and sort of beneath him. And like a lot of these guys, they were like, well, my real work is writing novels or writing right. plays. And, and Joe was one of those who was like, no, no, this is, this is work and I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to do it. And, you know, before you knew it, Herman was on his way down. Joe had passed him. He was winning best director, best screenwriter Incredible. two years in a row for Amazing. Letter to Three Wives and All About Eve, a feat that is, I think, never been duplicated and certainly hasn't been passed. It's sort nope. of the Johnny, the Johnny Vanderbilt. It's, it's a Vanderbilt thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, so anyway, so that's, you know, and that's, that's the story is of these two guys and their relationship and how it impacted, um, you know, their families, which is my family. And, sure. and uh, you know, uh, so that's, that's the story of the book. Herman had a little 86 Mets in him. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, many people have pointed out uh, how much Herman Mankiewicz is like Daryl Strawberry. Yeah, yeah, I would say that, that that comparison of it has been made. All right, so that book, so Competing with Idiots is coming out on September 15th, right? So the 14th, second night. September 14th. Oh, they're night. coming out. They're both starting exactly the same time. All right. Exactly the so, same time, yeah. So on September 14th, what you need to do is go to your bookstore to Amazon to Barnes and Noble, wherever you do and get competing with idiots. Okay. That's the Herman and Joe Mankiewicz, a dual portrait. And that evening you've already started the book. You've started right. reading the book. And then <laughs> that true. evening on ESPN or ESPN two, if you're willing to put up with uh, a few, uh, a few swear words. No, no uh, ESPN. That's the crazy thing. ESPN has the swear. Words. Oh, okay. ESPN so ESPN two is, is the belief. Okay. So ESPN two is now the family channel and exactly. ESPN is, is, is hardcore. So yeah. if, uh, all right, so you go to ESPN, unless you're a little sensitive <laughs> Uh, and then watch it on ESPN two. Like, uh, should, should they do something like on ESPN two? Like, have like, you know, children do you know like the little bits in between or something? Yes, you know, to, yes, exactly. To, to make it the family thing. But yeah. then after you buy Competing with Idiots, uh, you go to ESPN September fourteenth. Watch the first two. Watch the second at two on September fifteenth. It's going to be amazing. Nick, I can't thank you enough for joining me. Oh well, thank you, Joe. It was such a pleasure to to talk again. Okay, and now it's time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. 
No hot fruit for Michael, no Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast woe. It's one last woe. I think you, you go, I think you go first this time because I went first really? last time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Really? I'm, I, it's, all right. Well, I've I've had a few uh, meaningless things happening uh, to me lately, um, and and I hate turning these things into something meaningful, but I'm going to do it anyway because well, it's meaningful to me. It might not be meaningful to anybody else. Uh, so as I've mentioned a couple times on this podcast, uh, I uh, have written. My last uh, article for the Athletic, and uh, you know, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed my time there. But I am starting my own um, Substack at uh, JoePoznanski.com. Uh, it's actually a, a, it is a current Substack. It is I'm not actually starting it, but I'm completely rebranding it, redoing it. I've got all sorts of exciting and fun things uh, coming, uh, including a football countdown. Uh, that I think people are going to like. So uh, I'm actually going to use my one last meaningless thing, which really totally destroys the spirit of one last meaningless thing. I should have called this like, like um, I don't know, pitch central or something. Like I think it shouldn't really be under the one last meaningless thing banner, but but I don't have any else place uh, else to put it. Uh, so JoePoznanski.com, I hope you'll join. I hope you'll be a part of it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, and I'm excited about it. So there you go. Congratulations! It's very exciting. Everybody should subscribe. I don't know how Substack works. Subscribe to it. Yeah, they they will subscribe. Yes, right. you come on over and Great. subscribe. Subscribe and, to uh, it. <laughs> I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And we'll have we we will have some kind of announcement about the podcast at some indeterminate point in the future about how that will work. Yeah. We don't we don't know yeah, what it is we got yet, some, but it, it'll be we, something. We got some super exciting things coming. We don't know what it's. We don't even know what it's going to be. We, we this might be the last one. We have no idea. <laughs> I mean, it should. Coming. It probably should be. We've been talking about baseball for an hour and thirty minutes. I know, and it was just emergencies, and they were none of them were emergencies. <laughs> it was really just kind of pointless uh, nonsense. Well, congratulations but, uh, on the new venture. It's very exciting. Everybody subscribe. It's worth it. Joe writes uh, seven to 800,000 words a week <laughs> so you'll get your money's worth. My one last meaningless thing is is slightly covid related um but truly meaningless which is my house and car and every other in- inside area is filled with bottles of hand sanitizer that are <laughs> one quarter full. And That's right. I, and I just don't know what to do with them. Like I've tried, <laughs> I've tried like combining them, you know, like unscrewing yeah. the tops and have merging them. And that takes a long time and it's messy. And I'm also not sure we kind of know more about COVID and how it spreads now than we did a year and a half ago. So it's, you know, it's important to be hygienic and keep your hands clean and not like rub your eyes and stuff. But that also doesn't seem to be the main way that COVID is spread. And so hand sanitizer, which we were all obsessed with and was impossible to find in stores for a while, is right. now suddenly doesn't seem that important. But it also doesn't seem right to just throw them all away. And I so I just I have like 26 bottles of like generic brand alcohol based hand sanitizer that I just right. I just don't know what to do with. And if anybody has any tips, <laughs> if there's an art project I can do with them or if I can 
if I can somehow put them to use in some kind of meaningful way, let me know. Hit me up in, uh, on on Twitter with some suggestions because they're, I, it just is the weirdest thing. Like I bought a case uh, at some point of these of these hand sanitizer bottles, and now it sure doesn't seem like I'm gonna find uh, uh, a use for all of the hand sanitizer I bought. So I just I'm just at a loss. This is really this is a plea for help. What do I do with my one quarter full hand sanitizer bottles that are plaguing me and, and are like every time I sit on a couch, I sit on, I'm like, oh, what the hell is that? And it turns out it's a hand sanitizer bottle. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. No, we, we have exactly the same thing. And I, I think we should add there is nothing. Well, okay, there are things, but there are not many things that are more frustrating than trying to combine these two different bottles. Yeah. You have tried it, it's ridiculous. You're just holding it over. It's like it's like a ketchup bottle. It's like the, the the stuff never comes out, and you're just holding it over the top. My wife figured out some sort of way where she could balance one of the bottles on top of the other, so that so that it would just like ooze out and like you leave it overnight and it would get in. But it doesn't work at all because that stuff doesn't really come down. Yeah. Um. No, there's no answer. There's no answer. I think we're gonna always have way more uh, bottles than we need ever. And it's going to be, and they're going to be everywhere and there's nothing we can do about it. There is no better business to be in than the hand sanitizer business in March of 2020. <laughs> like you, you, if you owned, if you yeah. owned one of those companies, you made more money than you'll ever need in your, for the rest of your life. And <laughs> I mean, but, no, but seriously, how, like, cause look, the person who is, who is running, you're the president of whatever hand sanitizer company. And you're a good, by the way, you've done a great job. You're a good per. You're, you're a good person. Okay. You've, you've, you know, and you're just like, Hey, you know, I just, I just want people to keep their hands clean. That's why you became a hand sanitizer man. That's why you got into this and, crazy and, game. It's why you got into this crazy game. And then, you know, it starts coming around and you start hearing about all this COVID stuff. And you're like, Oh man, this is, this is bad. I care more about my country than I care about anything else. And, and this is bad. I'm really, really concerned. And then suddenly they're like, you know what you need? You need hand sanitizers. And the money's just pouring in, mm -hmm. pouring in. You can't expand fast enough. You can't. You're just hiring people left and right. And you're just going and going and going. But how do you feel? How do you feel knowing that it took this this terrible event to to boost your your profits? I don't know. It's a how do you sleep at night? I guess is the question you, you're yeah, asking, exactly. right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Because you're a good person. It's not like you're. It's not like you were out there hoping that this would happen. But your ship came in, and it, it it involved misery for so many people. It's 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 tough. It's yeah. tough on you, isn't it? I mean, maybe you just hope, like, hey, I did my best to help the. That's right. Help the, you to help you people, donate you know? a lot of your profits to 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 different uh, places, right? That's right. I think that's if you're a good person, you're, you 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 re you roll the money back into a lot of other PPE, COVID, right, COVID prep and COVID prevention things. And you went to sleep every night thinking like, hey, I'm I'm putting my money to good use. That's what you yes. thought to yourself. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then things started shifting and suddenly nobody wanted your stuff anymore because they all had more <laughs> than they could ever use. That's right. And now you're like, well, wait a minute. Now I'm totally going broke and you have to let go of all those people that you had. And I mean, it's been a rough run if you are, uh, uh, you know, in, involved in the uh, in the uh, uh, yeah. in the business. Yeah, I mean, it's it just been tough. There you go. I'm I'm glad that I was able to contribute a little meaninglessness after <laughs> you really were after you basically came, you came after, through. 
after basically just using my time to pitch my new uh, thing at JoePosnanski.com. By the way, before I go, I'm going to pitch one more thing. My book, uh, The Baseball 100, comes out at the end of the month. You have a book. Is that true? Yeah, I, I don't know this. if I, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I did. No, write you a haven't book. mentioned this. I wrote a book. It's called How to Be Perfect. It is a journey through uh, my. It's like my journey through moral philosophy that I took in preparation to write The Good Place, and it's an attempt to sort of relate the various theories on how to be a good person uh, in a way that doesn't give you a headache. And <laughs> because most <laughs> most philosophy gives me a headache when I try to read it, so it's a it's a it's intended to be a sort of humorous kind of like look at at what various people have said about what it means to be a good person over the last call it twenty five hundred years, and it will be out on so uh, it'll be and out on March first, March first, uh, March first of next Very year. Exciting. There will be much more so we'll, much more to say about it as we get closer to yeah, the, we'll get closer. We're going to pitch that my book, Baseball One Hundred, is coming out at the end of September. Uh, we, uh, there are some special offers you can find if you go to joeponsanski.com. Uh, it's the pre-sell, uh, has been, uh, super insane and I'm, I could not be more grateful, but that leads us to the very final thing. And I can't believe we waited to the very end since I've only gotten 66,000 requests, uh, about this. And, and so, uh, I am going to get this in. You have a new project. I do. Um, <laughs> funny you should bring we, it up. We, we. Yeah, we literally spent the entire last podcast working around your new project. <laughs> Trying not to mention it, yeah. Mentioning your new project, exactly. <laughs> yes, I am adapting the movie Field of Dreams into a limited series uh, for Peacock. Applause, uh, applause. Very excited. Um, I'm working on it now. The writing of it will take me and some other people uh, a while. We'll be shooting it next year. But part of what we were doing when we went to the Field of Dreams game was my producer friend Morgan Sacken and I were uh, were scouting locations so we were yes. driving driving around Iowa we drove 300 or 400 miles through the state of Iowa looking at 200 identical cornfields and <laughs> and farmhouses and uh, trying to figure out where we're going to shoot it and um, so that it won't it will it will be out um, up, you know it'll be 18 months before it, it can be seen it's going to take a long time to make it's going to be very hard and complicated but it is the story of Field of Dreams uh, reimagined uh, for as a series for hour long series for Peacock. It's exciting. Very, it is exciting. Yeah. It's so exciting. I and I know we'll have more to say about it as we get closer. But uh, yeah, super exciting. Yep. So, and 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 have you heard from anybody who is like basically said? Uh, I hate Field of Dreams. What is wrong with you? No, but that's partly because I decided uh, not to pay attention to anything anybody said because I, <laughs> I figured that it would be a split down the middle of like, I can't wait to see this and all the way to what are you doing? This is the worst idea I've ever heard of. Uh, how dare you take on this uh, project? So I, Yeah, I, you'll get it from both sides. I'll how get it dare from, you? Yes, I'll get it from both sides. And also, yeah. I hate it. That's right. right? So uh, you got that. So, so yes, I don't. So I, I sort of tuned all of that out. I didn't really look at Twitter or anything when the announcement came out, I plan to to maintain that stance all the way through the release of it and beyond. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting though. It's, it's a real, it's a, obviously a challenge to take on something that is so, um, so beloved, 
by so many people and also so reviled by so many people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I would say that it's more beloved than reviled, but there are certainly, it, it certainly has its detractors and people who think it's not good or don't, yeah. don't like it. Don't like the tone. Don't like them, whatever the, the, the gauzy sort of dreamy quality to it. Uh, but that is exactly the reason not to pay attention to anything anybody says until, until I'm done <laughs> and it's actually airing. It is super exciting and and uh, can't wait. So, uh, all right, there we go. We're through it all. As always, Mike, thank you. Thanks for having me.